Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! <laughs> my sister and my daughter! Rosebud. What's in the box? Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, and this is a Slate spoiler special podcast for Avengers Endgame, the final movie in the 22-movie cycle that's been going on for the last 11 years. Is that right? From the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yes, I believe it all started with the original Iron Man movie in 2008. And I hope that we'll get a little bit into the entire franchise and what it means that this is the, the concluding one. Obviously, it's not going to be our last Marvel movie ever, but it does represent <laughs> an ending of some kind and a culmination, and we will get into that. Uh, joining me in the Slate studio, and we're all here together in Brooklyn, which is very nice, is uh, Forrest Wickman, Slate's culture editor. Hey, Forrest. Hey, Dana. And special guest coming up from D.C. is the New York Times, formerly of Slate, uh, columnist Jamel Bowie. Hello. Uh, so nice to have you here. Yeah, I feel like we have like the phase one podcast, Slate Podcast Avengers back together. <laughs> this is like I'm the Nick Fury here, like getting the gang back together. This really is kind of a dream team for this particular movie because I wanted to get someone like you, Jamel, who's a big comics person and has a background in the source material of these movies. And just Forrest, I feel like you're the scarecrow who comes in on every single Marvel movie to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a big fan of the, I mean, I just didn't really read the comics growing up, but I've become a fan of the movies and I've seen all of them and I, f- I feel like I'm somewhere in between you two guys in terms of my level of Marvel affection. Mm, yeah, I guess my actually our level of affection would be an interesting place to start. I mean, starting with this movie, as always, I kind of want to go around and just see if you're a pro or con on this movie. But, um, but I would kind of like to get into all the different things that this franchise has meant for the culture and for consumers and for the market, you know, and for us individually and personally in the 11 years it's existed, right? Because it's hard to feel just one way about something this yeah. uh, that takes up this much space in the culture over this long a period of time. So, okay, I'll start with you, Jamel. This movie, yes or no, and like a brief thumbnail history of you with, with the MCU. So yes to this movie, a provisional yes. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Provisional yes to this movie. And um, so I saw Iron Man like opening weekend. uh, And I remember when that movie came out because it came out the same year as The Dark Knight. And so I knew Batman was coming out, I think, later in the summer. Um, And I this was a time when I wasn't paying much attention to movie news um, or, or industry news. And I don't think I mean, there simply wasn't the kind of like infrastructure built up to sort of hype up something like this. So I remember it showing up. Um. Uh, in the in the paper, which is strange. Like I got the newspaper and looked at where the movies were playing that weekend, and it was right. like, oh, Iron Man, nice period yeah. of detail. Already, I know. already, you see how much time has right. Passed. Yeah, two thousand eight, right. which is still like, I mean, it's it's not like it's internet's well established in 08, but it's still the case where there are little things like that. There are no still smartphones do. yet in 08. Right. Right. I didn't have a smartphone or anything. Um, saw Iron Man opening weekend with my friends. Was totally blown away. It was like. Cannot believe they made a movie out of the C-list superhero, but it was great. Our DJ is great. Um, and since then, these movies have kind of just been this almost like, you know, twice a year event thing for me and my like friends and such. Like 
they'll come out. We all get together to see them, talk about them, and then that's it. Not any particular kind of obsession or like close interest, but kind of we know every year a couple of these will come out. They'll probably be fine, and it's like a good excuse to have fun at the movies. And that's that's both not a big thing, but I think also multiplied, you know, millions of times, right? Like for an entire culture, that's actually a very meaningful thing. And you can even see that with Endgame, where it's it's this is a cultural phenomenon. People. Um, uh, of very different backgrounds and very different interest levels are excited to see this in a way that's sort of fun and, and makes me feel good about the world. Yeah, and that's something I've come around to slowly because, you know, at the same time as they've grown as a as a phenomenon among fans, they've grown as a, as a market phenomenon, right? And so there's always a part of you as well that just feels like, ugh, I'm drinking the soft drink that they told me to drink on the billboard, right? I mean, these movies are so heavily marketed. This one maybe more than any. This one also, which is I think somewhat unusual for these movies, is opening globally on the same day. So whatever insane first weekend take it has is going to happen right now off the bat, you know, and just right. be one of those numbers that creates a snowball that goes on itself, right? You've got to go see it because it's the most money-making movie of all time, et cetera, et cetera. So a certain part of me gets cynical and pushes against that. But then a movie like this, and even in a way like the last one in Infinity War, uh, comes and steals a little bit of my film-going heart and uh, and makes me feel less cynical in that way. Forrest, what about you? Yes on this movie, and what about the whole franchise? Yeah, um, this movie was a lot of fun. For a three-hour movie, I think I was sort of dreading that runtime, and then it totally breezed by, and this movie is just really good at delivering fan service. I think that's the number one thing it's best at. At times, it felt like a sort of greatest hits compilation of the last 10 or 11 years of Marvel movies. I'm not sure it totally holds together as a movie. Like before this started, we were talking about um, our favorite Marvel movies and um, just off mic. And we were talking about Winter Soldier and like that movie really stands up on its own. And this movie, like I'm not really sure what the themes were and like, uh, it just felt a little messy to me or like one of those series finales that they just have to pack so much into that it just kind of sprawls and, right. and gets a little sloppy. But it's it's really fun. I mean, my theater was like losing its mind throughout most of the movie. And I mostly felt uh, the same way that everyone else did in the theater. Yeah, I agree. When people turned into those piles of mulch and blew away, I was gasping just like I was in the first movie. And it's a really impressive effect. I still maintain that Mm -hmm. that effect is very thought through in the way that it somehow conjures grief as it's happening. You know, it happens so slowly and you sort of see the the ashen look sort of start to grow from their arms up. And uh, and even, even when it happens to... Oh, redacted wow. <laughs> the people that you want it to happen to in some way it's it's a really sort of mournful effect to see and to answer my own question i guess i would say like you jamela provisional yes on this movie certainly a yes only for people who are at least mildly interested in the universe i mean it so much assumes that your knowledge of this universe not particularly detailed in the weeds knowledge i haven't seen every one of the movies in this 22 movie cycle but if you didn't have some familiarity with you know the infinity stone plot and the basic characters you would have no idea what was going on in this movie because very little time is spent if any giving sort of background exposition of how we got here right i mean we just pick up right there 23 days after the last movie ended in that you know universe that's been halved by the fateful finger snap of the villain Thanos and uh, and we're expected to just jump right in and move from there and in that sense I feel like this is a true Godfather part two situation where it really completes the last movie yeah. you know or the better analogy I guess is the last Harry Potter movie right like dividing the same adventure into two parts because the last one really did end on a cliffhanger yeah, I, I, um, I mean, we should get into spoiling the movie, but very quickly on that point, I will say this movie made me 
like Infinity War slightly less, I would say, just in the sense that, you know, Infinity War has this ending that at the time, or at least for a few minutes, and perhaps especially if you're not somebody who knows the comics really well, feels really bold um, in the sense that they kill off, you know, half of the universe. And then you think about it for a while and you're like, oh, wait, they can't actually kill off the Black Panther because he just made a billion dollars for them. And, <laughs> right. Your extra narrative knowledge comes in. And then in. you're like, OK, they're going to use time travel and so on. But like a lot of the grief that ended the previous movie and then they tried to suffuse into the first bit of this movie, I felt it felt a little like fake to me because I just knew that everybody was going to come back. So this actually, I feel like it's a nice segue into spoiling. Um, but so when my mom saw Infinity War, yeah, she saw my dad, she called me and she was almost hysterical. Right. Right. She was like, did they really kill everyone? Yeah. And I had to sort of uh, really like, you know, mom, Black Panther made a billion dollars. <laughs> like everyone's coming back. But I think that for a uh, a more normal movie going audience, for people who um, don't even necessarily think about the extra narrative stuff, Infinity War did actually hit kind of hard. People were like emotionally impacted by yeah. that because these are characters. And there's a funny thing going on too with the character like Spider Man in the in the MCU who is new to the MCU but not new to the popular culture at large. And so you have people going into this movie either with very particular personal connections to these MCU characters, to RDJ as Tony Stark, to Chris Evans as Captain America, but then also their own pre-movie investment in a character like Spider-Man or whatnot. And so Peter Parker gets snapped and he's gone. And I think there are a lot of people who were genuinely kind of like, that's really disturbing to me. And keeping that in mind, I thought the beginning of Endgame and the kind of somber like very melancholic first hour was really effective in that sense. It really did sort of, I don't know, of the movie, that's the part I liked most. Like like Steve Rogers saying to uh, uh, Black Widow, saying to Natasha, they saw a pot of whales in the Hudson and almost being like maybe this was a good thing that happened right. was a really crazy and like I think bold choice to make for this movie because it – it it is kind of out of place in this genre, it's sort of very quiet and contemplative, and seeing these godlike beings like feel genuinely impotent in the face of something they kind of don't understand. Right. I mean, it's also, of course, a nod at climate change and a strange nod at the the sympathy that we had for Thanos in the last movie. Right. right? The fact right. that his weird Malthusian theory about how half the universe has to be eliminated is insane and evil, but it's not purposeless. It's not without some kind of at least what he sees as a moral purpose. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You guys, we've got three hours of plot. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get into that. Okay, so as we begin, uh, as I said, it's just a few weeks after the uh, the snapture, right? Right. So, well, I mean, technically the first shot is we see Jeremy Renner. And, and as you say, Jamel, it's like this really melancholy, mournful scene where, like, there's not even an opening credits or anything. I'm not sure there's even any music at first. And basically Jeremy Renner is, like, playing with his family off. You know, he's been kind of retired for a few 
Marvel movies. And then all of a sudden, like, his daughter's not there, and then his son and his wife. I find that there. very upsetting. It's a really, it's really well done. I, and then there's like this thunderclap, like a literal like storms a coming uh, sound that they play over the opening title, which was a little much, but um, so that's where it starts. And then we go to Tony Stark, who's in space 23, 22 days later or him something. And, him and Nebula are floating through space in some sort of vehicle. Yeah. Why do we know exactly why the two of them have set off in space together? I was trying to remember this exactly. Like, I think that, you know, at the end of infinity war, Iron Man fights Thanos on that like distant planet. I think something? they were the only two survivors of that fight because it was right. it was them, Doctor Strange, Spider Man, right. and Star Lord. Oh right, because they weren't in the world of everything that was happening in Wakanda down on Earth. Right. They were up in in space. Okay, so they're right. just returning from their trip, but they're almost out of oxygen. So he's just about to die, and he records this farewell note to Pepper Potts, now his wife. Right, he's actually now become this family man. Right. Um, and that's the last you see of them until, oh, that's right, <laughs> until Captain Marvel, who has, plays a very bizarre part in this movie. Yeah. It's just literally just the deus ex machina who pops up a couple times to save is, people right. from dire circumstances, pops up and brings the spaceship back to Earth just, you know, in classic comic style, like carrying it on her shoulder through I, space. I literally wrote deus ex Captain Marvel <laughs> in my notes. Uh, it sounds like just like you did, Dana. And yeah, it happens a few times in this movie. I mean, if some of the idea was supposed to be incorporating these new characters like Black Panther and Captain Marvel into the old universe so that we could sort of roll over into the new universe, there's not been a lot of, uh, of adapting them into the plot. They both appear for mere minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping they, I, I feel like they still haven't totally figured out what to do with Captain Marvel. Hopefully that'll get better. So yeah, Captain Marvel gets them back to Earth. There's A lot of these scenes are really somber, and I feel like this is also when I wrote in my notes, oh, they're setting up Iron Man's death. Because like there's just so much time spent with Robert Downey Jr. being really dejected and just like sitting with him in s- sadness. And that, that speech he gives is about death. And you're like, oh, of course he's not going to die in the first two minutes of this movie. But it told me like, oh, he's going to die at the end. Well, of and then movie. again, there's also extra narrative information coming in where we know that Robert Downey Jr. is good and sick of doing these yeah. movies. He's right. been he's the one who, the only one who's been on since the very first film and, you know, has made it pretty clear that his his time with Marvel is done. Having said that, having knowing that he's very sick about the movies, I was worried that he might not give like a 100% performance, but I think he gave oh, a very yeah. good performance just throughout, like kind of... I, I mean, I think he's extremely good in this movie. Like, he's always been great in these movies, and to some extent, his sensibility, like, gave birth to the Marvel Universe, right. like his wry sensibility and ability to do, like, uh, you know, genuine, you know, pathos when you, when you need to. And and this is like maybe the best he's been in any of these movies to the extent that I feel like there's going to be Oscar campaign for him because of how much how he made this whole uh, universe possible. And like this is his final bow. And in like a, you know, Return of the King, like the Lord of the Rings got all their Oscars with the last movie. I suspect there will be a little bit of a push for Robert Downey Jr. to get a kind of lifetime achievement um, nomination or something. Yeah, it would make sense. The character is also just written better than he was in the last couple of Iron Man movies. He's not just snark. You know, Mm -hmm. he's got this this side where you feel like he's been through something and he's he's mellowed in some way. He's a little more philosophical, although still a smart ass. And we can get to some of the lines, but there's some very funny lines in this movie as well. it was written by Stephen Marcus and Christopher McFeely, who wrote the last few scripts for Marvel movies, right? For yeah, uh, they. I think the first one was Winter Soldier, one of the best Marvel movies, and then Civil War, which is pretty good, and then Infinity War. 
Yeah, so they seem to have a grasp now, you know, on just this the basic corpus of, of who these characters are. Um, let's get to the how do they get from this first time frame we start in? Well, there's the very cold open time frame of Jeremy Renner's family yep. disappearing. Then there's the 23 days later and Captain Marvel bringing, um, you know, those guys back from space. But then there's this five years later jump ahead, right? Yeah, I think first they have to go after, don't they go after Thanos right. first? So the first thing, after the 23 days, Captain Marvel brings Tony and Nebula back. Nebula, who is, we know from the Guardians movies, is Thanos' younger daughter, says, oh, I know where he is. He's in this garden and pinpoints the planet where he is. So It's like his country home. He's retired. Right. Yeah, he's, he's retired. Like, he's having this like Michael Pollan phase where he's getting back <laughs> to nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the remaining Avengers minus Sans Tony Stark, who kind of has a bit of a meltdown when he confronts Captain America and is, it's implied in a coma after being so weak and then also being filled with rage and anger and grief. Um, the remaining Avengers travel to this planet, confront Thanos. What they hope to do is get the stones, beat Thanos, get the stones, reverse it. But it turns out that Thanos had use the stones to destroy the stones. The stones no longer exist in that timeline. Um, and they're kind of left with sort of just this smug villain who doesn't need to do anything else. Um, Thor kills him, like decapitates him kind of in anger and frustration in his own. And as a parenthetical, the, the, I think of the many plot lines happening in this movie, the Thor one is the most interesting and the one I like the most. But the beginning of his is sort of we remember from Infinity War he didn't aim for the head and right. thus allowed um, Thanos to snap and so here he decapitates Thanos but knowing that there's no use to it kind of just flies off. Yeah, which was like a to me to me the most genuinely surprising moments of this movie came right at the beginning. I think like I, I don't know maybe fans had sort of pieced together that this would happen, but I sort of you know I expected this is what would happen at the end of the movie, and to have it happen twenty minutes into the movie was like oh it put me back on what is the phrase back on my feet toes back on my toes Heels. yeah something like yeah <laughs> well because key, yeah, back key interruption back on your toes physically does not make any sense <laughs> yes, back on my heels uh yeah it just made me think like oh maybe i don't know where this movie is going uh in a pleasant way and it also means that for the remainder of the movie most of the time there aren't really any villains per se there are some invading aliens that we get to later so that there can be the requisite you know 20 minute long battle right but but most of the time they really are just fighting time and fate and you know the fact of what has happened in the attempt to reverse that fate so this is when we get the the title coming up that just says five years later, which is, I think, another one of the biggest surprises in this movie. And in, in my theater, at least, I don't know about for you guys, there, there were like audible gasps. at and, and I think it was, again, a sort of sense of loss of like, shit, we just like lost five years of this universe. Right. And also just that that apocalyptic world that they woke up in, right, the day after mm -hmm. the, the disappearance uh, just remained. So, you right. know, you get some shots that are right out of a dystopia that is very right. unmarvel, some sort of aerial shots of this world world with just, you know, highways full of abandoned cars and, you know, everything seems to be sort of shut down. Nothing's really functioning. I guess that's why people are living off the grid, etc. But the Avengers headquarters is still operational. The, I think the next really key thing that happens is that like a, a rat in a parking garage runs over the keyboard in Ant-Man's van, which 
like magically blasts him back from the quantum realm. So I, I guess it's at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp that right. he ends up in the quantum realm. Especially. And he was never in the previous movie at all, right? He was not in uh, in he's Infinity in, War. He's in Civil... Right. He's he's absent from um, Infinity War. He was in Civil War. So he, yeah, his Ant-Man and the Wasp chronologically takes place concurrent with Infinity War. So when Ant-Man, the post-credit sequence for Ant-Man and the Wasp, is at the moment Thanos snaps, and then he's stuck. Ah, that makes sense, because I think Paul Rudd says something like that when he comes out of the quantum realm. Doesn't he say something like, oh, I couldn't help you guys out because I was trapped in this this tiny world? Yeah, the people who were supposed to kind of draw him out of the quantum realm weren't weren't there to, like, hit the, the unquantuming button or whatever. I don't know. But the infusion of his fresh blood ends up being good for the Avengers, who are all kind of stuck in this depressed mode of, you know, we can't do anything about this Thanos situation now, even though Thanos is dead. And Ant-Man is the one who comes up with this so crazy it just might work scheme of a time heist, right? right? Which in a way seems somewhat redundant because isn't one of the stones a time stone? I mean, the first thing that occurred to me when they all got snapped away in the last movie was, well, just get that time stone back and you can change anything you want. But I guess in order to get to the time stone, you got to create this other time machine. Right. So what you were describing is what I expected to happen and then when they when Than when turned out Thanos had destroyed the infinity stones and they killed him it was like oh shit that whole scenario doesn't work anymore I would just say that quickly one of my favorite details about this is that of course everyone else has to look like they've aged f- five years but Paul Rudd hasn't aged at all because <laughs> it's just like in real life where he looks the same constantly that should actually be his, his superpower they should just make a hero who's like young man so, but let's talk about how everybody's changed over right. those years. So, um, they all have new haircuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're all blonde. I was actually impressed when you see Captain Marvel again. How butch she is! Like she's got yeah. a nice short haircut, and they're finally bringing out that side of her character that's like that's not so femmy compared to like a Black Widow kind of character. But she's minor, and she's not around at this point. Um, what else has happened? Okay, let's go down the road of Thor, since you like right. Thor's trajectory. So, well, first we meet Hulk. They go. First, right. what happens is Scott Lang raises this idea with Captain America and Black Widow and is like, maybe we can go back in time. And so they approach Tony. And this is when we learn Tony and Pepper live in the woods somewhere. It seems like in California. They ha- have a daughter. He's like a happy father and sort of wants nothing to do with it. And so they She's go, reading a composting magazine, right. which is just the best detail. I just love it. It's so goop. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's extremely goop. Uh <laughs> And so they go look for the next smartest person they know, which is Bruce Banner. And here's where we find out that Bruce Banner somehow reconciled the Hulk persona with Bruce. And so now you have a He says it's like the best of both worlds. Right. Or he's like he's basically he's like Hulk sized Mark Ruffalo. Um kind of just Mark Ruffalo playing like the Mark Ruffalo character, but just as the Hulk wearing a cardigan. And a T-shirt. At some point, of, he even has like giant glasses. Yeah, it's giant glasses and stuff. Well, I actually really love the scene where we learn this. The kids show up right. and like, "Can we, Mr. Hulk? Can we get a photo?" And um, he's like, "Sure." And Ant-Man's like, "Want to get a photo with Ant-Man?" And they're just like, "I don't know who you are." <laughs> And, I mean, but, he looks great that way, but I have to say that it takes something of the energy out of the character. Much as I love Mark Ruffalo and Hulk, like he yeah. may be my favorite character of the whole gang, but the whole dialectic between, you know, his gentle self and his angry self is what drives him as a hero. So it's a little bit neutering to have him just be like a nice big green guy. And this 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 kind of shows up later in the movie when they when they go back in time to 2012 to the Battle of New York and you know, Banner Hulk sees Hulk Hulk smashing and everything and he kind of just looks at him and he's like I guess I need to do that too 
and takes off his shirt and then like kind of gently hits the car. <laughs> Very yeah, half-hearted half smashing. Half-hearted bashing is excellent. Um, yeah, w- w- very quickly, one of my other favorite details from that scene is that Black Widow, I, I think, you tell me whether I correctly picked up on what happened. But so in one of the previous Avengers movies, Basically, Black Widow and Bruce Banner become romantically involved, or they're interested in each other, they're very attracted to each other, but then they realize it won't work, partly because, and I think this is the innuendo, like, uh, Bruce Banner can't have sex because the idea is he couldn't have sex without, like, becoming the Hulk. <laughs> and- and and then in this scene, like Black Widow sort of says something to him that suggests like, oh, like maybe we could this thing would actually work now. But of course, they're not going to have sex because like n- no one ever has sex in these movies. Um, but then we they then it's there's there's so much plot in this movie. Banner signs on him and Rocket Raccoon, who is also a survivor from the fight with Thanos travel to new asgard where thor is hanging out and thor is so i mean basically thor has ptsd from the whole experience of infinity war and over the course of five years it's become kind of the slovenly uh the dude from the big Lebowski. i mean they, there's there's a there's an explicit reference to the dude from the yeah. big lebowski that is his costume for a good chunk of the movie yeah the cardigan the right, right. the beige cardigan yeah the beige cardigan he's just hanging out drinking beer and playing video games with korg with korg um, I will say, can I just jump in and say, here's like schoolmar me popping up. And I said this about Thor Ragnarok, too. Like the idea that being permanently drunk is just a hilarious, cute character trait was disturbing. That disturbed me about Tessa Thompson's character in Thor Ragnarok. And it disturbs me about the Thor character here. I mean, these are movies for little kids, you yeah. know. And it's one thing if it's sort of like drinking a beer as part of his Lebowski persona. But it's kind of implied that he's an alcoholic. And then nothing's ever really said about it. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Although he like it's not good. No one wants him to just keep binge drinking. Like, the, it is also, I think that I, I understand that unease, and I also think that the message of the movie is clearly, like, don't drink, kids. Yeah, right? I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. End of the drinking sidebar. So where do we need to get to? So they have to convince Thor to come with them and help them out with this time machine idea. Um, and Which they literally do just by saying, like, oh, we have beer right, or something. Right. And so he comes along. He comes along. Because I think at that point... It's you have all the surviving Avengers again at Avengers headquarters. Uh, yeah, they're just waiting on Tony. Right. And eventually Tony, like, he's a workaholic, right? That's kind of his defining character trait in this movie, I think. And so he kind of can't help but fiddle with the time travel idea and start thinking about how maybe he could bring everyone back. And then he seems to figure out time travel in the course of, like, a night. I mean, I'm not sure exactly <laughs> yeah, how like much time is. So- he's, like, drinking a Soylent and sort of just, like, hanging out in his basement. My favorite thing about the way he finds out is that he's got, of course, one of those super home computers, right, that has, yeah. like, a 3D display of this holographic thing floating. And there's this kind of Mobius strip floating in front of him. And then he realizes, wait. If you reverse the Mobius strip, and that's it. That's the epiphany. Like, it floats in the other direction, and then he's got time travel figured out. Yeah, I couldn't tell whether the movie wanted us to take that science seriously or not, but I, I think it doesn't really matter. With all that stuff, with all the techno mumbo-jumbo with Tony and Bruce to a lesser extent, it's sort of just like they speak a bunch of nonsense very fast, yeah. and then there's a colorful thing happening, and that's that's cinematic language for these people are smart, don't worry about it. Great. They did the science stuff. They figured it out. And then the actual time machine they build, I I found very endearing because it looks sort of like um, an old school Star Trek 
um, uh, transporter. Tra- transporter. Yeah. Exactly. They just all stand in a circle on this kind of platform, and then they can go back to whatever time periods they want. But you know, they the- have to split up Scooby Doo style into three groups, right? Because they they each have, I guess, three of the stones are in one place. That makes it handy, right? So they send uh, some people there, and then there's one stone each in a couple other planets. Yeah, I mean, so I, I wrote down what the three different timelines are because this is when it gets really complicated with the the quote unquote time heist, which I agree with Ant Man. It's a great name. So there are six stones. They say six stones, three teams, one shot. So you have New York twenty twelve, which is where Hulk, Captain America, and Iron Man are back, and basically the end of the first Avengers movie at the quote Battle of New York. Uh, and then you have in Asgard in 2013, Thor and Rocket Raccoon, that's just them. And they're just going for like one of the stones, I think. Right. And then way off in outer space is, is like, it says Morag 2014. And that's, it's a, if they say it's one team, I think they're just trying to like make it seem simpler than it actually is. Cause it's really two teams. Cause there's Black Widow goes with Hawkeye to Vormir. So mm-hmm. it's actually, there's like two planets here. And then Rhodey goes with Nebula to, I guess, they stay on Morag or right. something. And, and this, Vormir, of course, is the planet where, in the last movie, yeah. Gamora got shoved to her death by Thanos in what we thought was a permanent death. And honestly, I walked out of those movies still not understanding why it was not a permanent death. It, so, <laughs> two quick observations. The first, uh, Forrest, you said at the beginning of this that this was sort of, this movie was kind of a, uh, we're going through the entire MCU, and this is where that becomes very apparent. Right. 2012 is the last act of the Avengers. The Morag, I don't know what it's called, is the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy. So we're going to sort of like kind of, we're going to Asgard, going to iconic yeah. uh, scenes in the MCU trilogy. Gamora, so Gamora did die, but then the 2014 Gamora, who is like displaced from that timeline. So she, later in the movie, she's in the present, in the present of the characters, but the Gamora that was alive with the characters concurrently is dead. Right. 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 But at the end, Chris Pratt and Gamora, they they get their little meetup, right? They get their romantic moment. So I don't quite get why but somebody could specifically couldn't... Chris Pratt and past Gamora, right? right. Which right. is why she doesn't, she's not in love with him because she's never met him. It does introduce a way where they could basically int- resurrect any, not resurrect is the wrong term, but they could bring back any character at any time if they just went back in time. Like they could go back in the next movie and grab Tony Stark from the first Iron Man movie, right? And like he would he, and yeah. bring him back to the present. Yeah, there needs to be some something introduced in the universe, some obstacle so that this can't just become the solution to every problem. I think they try to do that with these like PIM particles. Right. Where, so there's these Pym part. It's it, they're named after Hank Pym, the like original Ant-Man, I right. guess, the Michael Douglas character. And he's somebody who's like figured out time travel or something. And there's a, like a limited number of them. And so I think that's their plot mechanic they're trying to introduce for like, oh, we did time travel for this movie, but we can't do them anymore because all the Pym particles. are. It's used an exhaustible so, resource. Not so much because the Pym particles are for the shrinking. The Pym particles are important because uh, they right. let Ant-Man either shrink or get very large. And they it's a limited supply because Hank Pym got got snapped. Right. Um, yeah, now he's back. Now he's back. So theoretically, there's, <laughs> there's as many. I think what they're no just going to do is they're just going to, I mean, the reason why we know Tony Stark is dead or that Chris Evans is not there's there's no more Chris Evans cap Steve Rogers is that Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr yeah. are done so the only real deaths are like contract negotiations right <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um 
But so the whole middle part of the movie, I feel like we don't need to go through every single no. machination that gets everybody yeah. these Walmart costume jewelry pieces that they need in order to to do Pretty their couples. own snap. Um, but but once they can converge again on the floor of their their time machine and they're back in the present day. Um, there's still a lot of movie to go. That's the thing is that even after they've nominally solved the problem of getting all the stones together, even yeah. after they've managed to do the snap, right, um, and and get all the people to come back to life who were gone before, there was. I remember looking at my watch and thinking, I mean, I agree that it went by pretty fast for us and it was fun. It, did, it wasn't a drag, but there was still an hour of movie to go at that point. Right. Well, this is a Marvel movie, so of course there has to be like an extreme. I mean, there have been rare exceptions to this, but generally speaking, they all have to end with some humongous battle with like space aliens. And so that's what the third act of this movie is. The middle part does have a couple key plot things that happen. Um, the first is that um, they get the soul stone uh, in Vermeer the way Thanos advice by uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye have to sacrifice something close to them. And they have this very strange sort of contest to see who's going to sacrifice who for the other. Um, And in the end, uh, Natasha, Black Widow, ends up sacrificing herself for the Soul Stone, leaving Clint to get it. Um, and a then, very moving scene, I very have to moving, say. They're, very, they're his, they're, they have a history together, right? right. As, and it's a platonic history, which is nice. They don't have some kind of romantic background. Uh, yeah. And it's rough It's rough when Natasha bites it. I was hoping that there'd be some way to snap her back, but no, she's really gone. Seemingly. I, I Yeah. Well, I'm glad that worked for you guys. I just This is the one moment that I got like mad at the movie. Just because, I mean, these movies, they've gotten a lot more like racially and ethnically diverse and so on. But in terms of gender, they're still like extremely male dominated. And to kill off like the only original female Avenger just made me mad as her being like the first major death in this movie. And it's like, it's, it's I don't know. It, it worked for you guys. I, it was, uh, to me, not the greatest. So you I would mean, have, like you a would certain have other Hawkeye? character gets a way better death at the end of this movie, I mean, which I, makes some sense. But I had that same thought when I was, when I was watching it, I was like, they're not going to kill off like the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah, the first woman character of any import in this movie, in these movies, who's a hero, not like a, an assistant, like Pepper Potts. And they do. <laughs> yeah, a wife or an assistant. Right, right. And is really, that because Scar- Scarlet's out? Is Scarlett Johansson well, just n- done? No, because she's she's doing a Black Widow movie. There's going to be, um, so I'm, I'm assuming it takes place in the past, uh, but she's doing a Black Widow movie. So maybe after that movie, they're kind of, she's done with the franchise. So they're killing her off then and there. There was something though almost comic about them fighting for the right to die for each other. Yeah. It reminded me of like two sets of parents trying to pick up the check, you know? <laughs> right. That's good. Um, but then also Nebula, going back in time, Nebula, who is part sort of, she's a cyborg, her neural network or whatever gets entangled with 2014 Nebulas as well. And so Thanos can see, 2014 Thanos can see that there are time travelers who are trying to get the Infinity Stones. And this sets up the last hour of the movie where 2014 Thanos and his crew come to the present day to collect, to just take the gauntlet outright. And um, Thanos tells our heroes that because, you know, he real, he, he sees now that only by, by killing half of the universe, the people left, left behind who will not be able to get over it. So therefore, he needs to just wipe out everyone and create a new world where no one's complaining, which I think is actually much, much more logical plan <laughs> it's humane. than the original one. <laughs> 
it, yeah, it is. It makes a lot of plot sense. And then at the same time, it was like ugh, just another movie where somebody wants to destroy the whole universe. Like it, it took the one thing that was sort of interesting about Thanos and like made him a slightly more familiar villain for me. But that's that's all right. Yeah, he doesn't get as much time. I mean, he he's a really pretty complex villain in yeah, the last yeah. in the last movie. And this time he's sort of coasting on his complexity from before. Right. I he mean, doesn't the, get a lot of brooding time. The last movie was his movie. I mean, yeah. that, that's what I thought was interesting about it. That was the protagonists of Infinity War was Thanos and right. the Avengers were the antagonists trying to stop Thanos from accomplishing his goal. Having said that, I still wish that they would have taken the original motivation for Thanos in the comics, which is basically that Thanos has a crush on the personification of death and wants to impress her. Nice. Um, that so... is so conceptual. I love it. <laughs> Very goth. <laughs> it's extremely goth. Uh, I can only imagine how she's drawn. She must look so cool. She's drawn as like a feminine figured, a feminine figured hooded person. But when the hood comes up, she's just sort of like a skull. Um, but he wants so he was trying to woo the hand of death. And so his plan for doing that is wiping out half the universe and hoping that death will be impressed with this grand gesture. It's like, say anything. With, uh, <laughs> the boom box is like the whole universe. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I guess we should talk about the big battle, which is really fun. So, I mean, at first, okay, so Thanos shows up, it's, it's past Thanos shows up in what is our present and he like blows away the entire Avengers headquarters and like somehow even the non-superhuman people are okay, despite the fact that they've been blown like many hundreds of feet underground which whatever this is logic. after this is after everybody's come back right this is after we've no, seen the the d snapping and the, the return of the black comes panther etc later because they have to do it at the most well, okay okay no, there's the there's the first d snapping <laughs> yeah, where yeah. hulk right does it and then he snaps and uh ant-man's like we did it and then at that moment thanos blows him to hell right Right. So the snap has happened, but we haven't seen all the those characters yet. Because first you have to set up this situation where Iron Man and Cap and Thor are all biting Thanos and it has to seem like they're starting to lose. And like maybe like me, you have somehow forgotten that the snap happened and that there's like a million superheroes that could fly in at any moment. So right at that moment, all these superheroes uh, fly in, which is done very well. It's a, it's a great little callback where Cap is like you you're worried that he's about to die and he's staring down Thanos and his shield is broken and then of course um Anthony Mackie as a falcon comes into his earphone and says cap on your left which is like their great romantic joke that they've been using for several movies now that i mean that whole sequence has a lot of callbacks so yep. you have Steve Rogers it's so Thor when Thor goes back into the past he also brings back his hammer which had gotten destroyed in the previous movie and so it's the battle starts out, and it's Iron Man, Cap, and Thor with the hammer and the axe. And then at a certain point, Thanos is about to kill Thor. Steve Rogers tosses the hammer at Thanos, which is a callback to Avengers: Age of Ultron right. during um, one of the one of the very Joss Whedon scenes of that movie yeah. with them all at a party talking, and Steve Rogers can almost lift the hammer. And so you have you have Steve Steve Rogers with the hammer, Thor, Iron Man. And then all the heroes appear just as the the big Thanos army is showing up. I'll say an interesting thing about that is Spider-Man shows up to give give Tony Stark a hug and says to, says to Tony Stark, we were somewhere and you weren't there. And then Doctor Strange said, or the doctor said, it's time for us to go back. Which 
they don't talk about it at all, but does suggest that what had happened with the snap is not that everyone died. They went to an alternate universe. They went to an alternate universe. Which wow. there's there's ten more movies right there. What happened <laughs> during those five years in the alternate universe? Yeah, that was a fascinating moment where you realized. Well, I mean, it makes sense with Doctor Strange, right? Like he can exist on all these different planes at once. So, but they were all there somehow. Um, so get us to the end of this movie. What the hell else happened? There's the invasion of the of the Thanos army. Basically, it becomes like this game of kill the carrier with all of the superheroes from the entire universe where they're all just fighting over the Infinity Gauntlet. And like it literally just gets past. So like Hawkeye has it. And of course, Hawkeye shouldn't have it because like he doesn't have any power. <laughs> it's just a dude. I have to say we we can. The one thing, of course, we forgot earlier in this movie is like Hawkeye's return where he's like mowing down a bunch of people and they're trying to make him look really cool. And it's one of the least successful scenes in the movie for me i mean so i kind of i, I will say the russos are one thing they're very talented at as like filmmakers is they're very good at like directing and blocking action yeah, yeah. choreography and so the hawkeye the big actually the the big singular hawkeye movement where we see him take out a bunch of yakuza and have like a little brief sword fight i thought was actually like a nice injection of real action right um filmmaking into this giant movie, I, I think it's like maybe a long take. I didn't, I didn't really no, there's watch a closely, couple, but there's a, but it's cut, it's cut the way one of those things should yeah. be, where you're seeing like the full range of the swords, and you're seeing, and it's real practical stunts right. that are happening. And right. I guess so, he's getting his own TV show, I think, on like Disney Plus, where Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm try to take over the whole streaming industry. Um, by so by I him, you mean the character or Jeremy Renner? Himself? Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. Yeah, there's going to be some sort of Hawkeye TV show, I believe. So anyway, Hawkeye has the Infinity Gauntlet and then like he tosses it to Spider-Man and Spider-Man tosses it to somebody else or whatever. And that just goes on for a while. And then, so I don't know how much is really interesting during that battle. I, one thing we should talk about, I'm curious what you thought felt, uh, in particular felt about it, Dana, but there's this moment where all of the female superheroes somehow like end up all in the same place. I'm telegraphing how I feel about this scene. <laughs> and they're like, we're all we're all with you to like Scarlet Witch or one of the female superheroes. And it's a very, it felt like very 90s girl power to me. Um, and like didn't make a lot of plot sense. And it just felt like a sort of, bone tossed towards feminism while like the men were still completely dominating the movie. Agree. I mean, and this is from somebody who choked up at the DC Wonder Woman and also was was really fond of the Captain Marvel movie. But yeah, that was such a contrived moment of girl power fan service that didn't it didn't add anything to the agency of female characters in the movie in general. Right. It just gave everybody a moment to put on their sparkly feminist T-shirt and cheer at the end. Yeah. I mean, the moments that were more effective for me in this movie um, where and this kind of brings us back to a key moment in this movie is, is so Captain Marvel also bursts back in and like takes out the entire space fleet of Thanos which was somewhat moving to me that like in the middle of this humongous battle of all the most powerful people in the universe like Captain Marvel seems to be pretty much the most powerful person there besides like maybe Thanos and then it all comes down to Thanos is like trying to do the snap he gets the <laughs> infinity gauntlet and Captain Marvel like is is apparently so strong that she can like keep him from snapping his fingers. <laughs> I was just imagining what if they had greased the glove fingers so that the snap didn't work. It was just too slippery. <laughs> they could have gotten him that way. Um, but this brings us to sort of the kind of the climactic yeah. moment that they're struggling for the gauntlet. Captain Marvel is strong, but not strong enough to keep Thanos from from knocking her off. What he does, in fact, is he grabs like the power stone and then like shoots her and she flies away. Tony Stark. Earlier in the battle, 
Tony Stark had said to Doctor Strange, "This was this the one in like 14 million? Yeah. And Doctor Strange says, well, if I tell you how this ends, it's not going to happen. And so at this moment, after Captain Marvel's been knocked away and Thanos has the gauntlet, Tony Stark looks at Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange puts up one finger. And then Tony Stark jumps at Thanos, um, doesn't wrestle the gauntlet away. And so you, the audience, think he's he has it and he snaps, but there are no stones in the gauntlet. And the stones had gone into Tony Stark's armor. And he then, the line is, you are inevitable, but I am Iron Man. And he snaps. And then the entire Thanos army vanishes with a, a very nice shot of Thanos sort of sitting down looking forlorn and then like disintegrating away. And Tony Stark dies. That's sort of... Yeah. Is it the idea that he simply died from his injuries in the battle, or it was no. it was holding the stones that made him die? The energy, doing, yeah. The energy from the snap. Because when Hulk, when we when we find Thanos at the beginning and he snaps, that's for the second time. Like half of his body is burned from the energy. Hulk snaps and it does the same. Um, and they only survive because they're based. They're like these superhuman monsters. Tony does it and it just like, you know, it's basically like burns half his body, and so he collapses. Everyone gathers around him. Pepper gathers with him, says he can rest, and Tony Stark dies. Yeah. yeah. Forrest, you said that you saw that coming from the beginning. I think I think that I didn't, although I, you, you figure that somebody big is going to die in this round. I mean, it's, t- it's like it's foreshadowed a lot. I mean, so I suspected going into the movie that probably um, – Iron Man, Captain America, or both, or both were going to die, and that's partly just because we know that Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans have been saying that they want to get out of these movies for years. Like, I think we talked about this back in our Captain America Winter Soldier spoiler special like six, seven years ago. Um, so, you know, I had my eyes on those characters, and then they just, they, they keep throughout the movie giving those characters like much more screen time than everyone else, and heavily foreshadowing things like with that Doctor, Doctor Strange scene, so yeah, I had a I had like a strong sense that that it was coming. It also makes kind of thinking again of sort of like narrative outside the movies itself. If I mean if these if this be- begins with RDJ and really yeah. sort of the, the concluding line of the first Iron Man movie is I am Iron Man, and that kind of does kind of set the path for all of these. It does make a lot of sense that you would end you'd wrap up this franchise or this cycle of this franchise with just like that again and like. He dies, and that kind of it puts up, it closes this chapter of the Marvel universe. Yeah, and even though you could say this movie has five endings, and I heard some people walking out ahead of me saying that they thought it was ending many times before it was ending. I wouldn't cut out too many of those endings because yeah. it's it's great to say goodbye to all of these characters in a slow fashion. We get to see the beef between Cap and Tony get finally resolved, yeah. right? That's been going on since Civil War. And uh, and then we get to see Cap's ending, which does anybody want to describe his final fate, which I also thought was really moving? I, th- I, I actually, I really, I thought that was like the perfect way to end this movie. Um, yeah, you should do it. Then. All right. Uh, so after we, we find that Tony has died and there's a really moving funeral ceremony for yeah. Tony too, at which everybody shows up, right? So we get like a nice slow pan of the entire uh, funeral crowd. And it's like mostly the slow pan over First of all, it's like every movie star in the world because they're all in these movies now. Um, it's So it's all these Avengers. And then just in case anybody listening was also confused, there's like a teenager who's standing on his own. And I was like, who is that? And I had a guess and I... I believe I successfully confirmed it later. Do you know who it was? It was the kid from Iron Man 3. Right, yeah. right. 
uh, who's, I forget the name of the actor. Uh, Ty Simpkins is the name of the actor, and I confirmed he's in this movie. But he's, eight, I mean, he was like 11 years old in that movie, right. and now he's 17 or something, so he's almost unrecognizable. And then they have to put the stones back to the time period where they found them, and so Captain America t- takes on this mission alone. He's in the woods with a new time machine. There's Hulk, there's Falcon, um, there's uh, Bucky, and um, Hulk is like, you know, this will just take, it'll be like five seconds for you and how long, how, five seconds for us, how long for you. However long you need. Right? How long yeah. you need, right. And um, uh, Captain America hops on, puts the suit on, goes back in time, and then Hulk brings him back and he's not there. And then the camera pans and you see like a man sitting at a, a bench and Sam Wilson walks over and him and Bucky do and it's a aged Captain America, who apparently has gone back in time and like just lived a life. He gives a shield to Sam Wilson. He has a wedding ring on. He has a wedding ring on, gives a shield to Sam Wilson. Uh, Sam asks him, who's the girl? Captain America says, not going to tell you. And uh, it fades out to. It's presumably Peggy Herder. Yeah, right? I mean, that's right. what it's, it's, Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then we end on a flashback <laughs> right. where you see her, right? right. The Haley Atwell character. We flashback to. Maybe the 1940s, and him, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, him and uh, Haley Owl's character are dancing, and the movie ends with just like them kissing. Yeah, which is really nice because that is one of the great sadnesses. I think that 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 time when he sleeps 70 years in the ice, right, right. in the first Captain America, and the idea that you would miss out on your entire life and then become this self-sacrificing hero because you've given up on having a personal life, right? It's kind of nice that he gets to go back and recoup that. I thought it was great to give him that ending as well. Yeah, I mean, they effectively both, like, their characters are done. They're like, uh, Cap isn't really dead, but, like, as a superhero. I, although part of me is curious whether we could see, like, old man Captain America <laughs> kicking ass at some point. But he seems pretty enfeebled. Um, I mean, they're doing all this representation. Why not some ageism, yeah. right? I mean, this, this, it is kind of like, there's a lot of callbacks to the movies, but there are also lots of callbacks to the comic books as well. And there was a particular, recently, like a, several years where Steve Rogers was old, had gotten like aged, and Sam Wilson was Captain America. So Steve right. Rogers is kind of like his Alfred, eh, more like older Bruce Wayne Alfred to Sam Wilson doing the cap thing. So do you guys feel done with this this uh, go-round? And how done you, do you feel with Marvel movies in general? I mean, I, I'll have to say, Forrest, that you had told me there were no um, end credit stingers in this, neither at mid-roll nor after the credits. Right. And uh, so for once, after a Marvel movie, I didn't spend an extra 20 minutes sitting around <laughs> waiting to see what the next villain or, or hero was going to be. I just got that rare experience of, like, grabbing your stuff and getting out. And uh, it was kind of a relief not to stick around for that. But there's also, of course, a sense of foreboding like another universe is going to be built and what's it going to be like yeah i mean i i one thing so you mentioned how sam wilson formerly falcon is like becoming captain america and this is one example of of many of how these movies have gotten a lot more diverse in a way that's really exciting to me so you know as somebody who thinks that you know certainly black panther is one of the best if not the best of of the Marvel movies and is really excited about those characters. Like I am pretty excited about the new generation. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. and Captain America have been at the center of a lot of the best movies, but uh, you know, I certainly am pretty psyched to see Black Panther two, for example. It'll be interesting to see how this moves forward because on one hand, there is a Marvel formula and most of the movies with very few exceptions fit into that formula. 
um, and they can make the whole. It can make them at times. It can make the weaker entries in particular feel sort of just like very kind of meh, um, like a like a flagging episode in a TV show, a TV yeah. series. Having said that, though, and this is the other hand, no one who's trying to do this has made it work, right? Like DC, Warner Brothers and yeah. DC tried to do this and fell on their faces. Everyone else who's tried to build this sort of like multi-character, multi-franchise, sort of like mega franchise has completely failed. And so part of me is like the team at Marvel doing this have figured out something that no one else has. And I I do want to see how they carry it forward. And part of me wonders if the way they're going to carry it forward is by even – moving further in the direction of letting these movies like kind of differentiate themselves from each other, which you, there's some of that in the more recent crop Captain Marvel less so, but like Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther yeah. are like very different. And right. Kind of quite not to mention the guardians, very, guardians of the galaxy right. comic side. Right. And all three, all those three are like very auteur driven. Basically. Right. Yeah, guardians <laughs> and Guard, guardians two is James Gunn kind of dealing with his dad issues Um, Black Panther is super interesting in part because the villain is kind of given director Ryan Coogler's story and background. Right. Uh, And then Thor Ragnarok is um, Taika Waititi kind of ruminating on colonialism himself as like a half Maori man. And also, like it should be said, just making a comedy pretty much. Like there's a lot of good action in that movie, but it's way more comedic than the vast majority of these movies. So that if Marvel continues to go in that kind of direction of kind of just like hiring auteurs or people with just strong creative visions. And of course, you're going to have some sort of, some visual connection to the rest of the series, but kind of just letting them push forward with their ideas. That could keep this fresh for a while and keep this as a very sort of interesting, or at least like fun to visit uh, set of universes for the duration. Agree. And I'm surprised to hear myself agreeing with that because I remember that when Marvel held that big press conference five years ago or so and and rolled out, you know, the endless staple of movies, many without titles, right? Untitled Ant movie that we're going to be coming out over the next five years. This movie was originally Avengers Infinity War Part 2, still one of the funniest, most unintentionally funny (laughs) movie titles of all time. Infinity, the other half. (laughs) But yeah, in spite of the feeling of existential dread that that press conference inspired in me, now I find myself... Ready to have a break. It's totally fine with me if there's a couple years where we don't have to, you know, report for duty at any Marvel movies. But um, but definitely curious to see what comes next. All right, y'all, thanks for coming in and spoiling. And when the next uh, universe does grind into gear, the Big Bang, the next Big Bang happens, <laughs> I hope you'll come in and, and talk about it. Of course. My contract is not over yet. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, the, <laughs> you're the unwilling Robert Downey Jr. being dragged in for one more round. <laughs> All right. Our producer today was Danielle Hewitt. You can email us if you have thoughts about this movie or about future movies or TV shows that we should spoil at spoilers at slate.com. For Forrest Whitman and Jamel Bowie, I'm Dana Stevens. We'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.